I'm enjoying being at the Master's College. I've been here two days. You guys have way too much fun for college. Way too much fun. Um, it's a good feel on campus. It's fun to walk around and talk to people and uh, hear stories of survival of the first couple of months of the semester. And uh, I know some of you are in the thick of it. You are in papers and tests. A number of you have even started studying before midnight, which does not include the guys uh, from the dorm section that I've been staying in, the Skull Crushers wing. <laughs> they start about 12 looking at anything academic and move somewhere towards noon the next day. It's, uh, for me, it's sort of a throwback to my years in Bible college, which were really rich. I just love my time in Bible school, and uh, it's exciting to kind of relive a few of those moments together with you for these days. Um, I also know that your school has um, a deep commitment to you and your relationship with the Lord, and that's important to you, otherwise you would not be here at this school. You know the reputation of the Master's College, and you know its commitment to setting up an atmosphere that allows you to walk with God. And uh, I commend you for your commitment in being here. I've also noticed this year, as I've been around, a real um, emphasis on missions. And that excites me, being a young missionary. And uh, I know that you've just gone through an opportunity to be exposed to a number of different things that are going on in missions. And some of them very exciting and, and uh, very stirring for you. And um, I... Remember those days for me in undergraduate when I heard opportunities. And, um, and I noticed in myself and others, there were a couple of different responses that we would go through when these, these great opportunities would be paraded in front of us. Um, some of the students who were those uh, maverick, go-getter types would basically really have a hard time keeping sight of staying in college. I mean, they'd been there three or four months, and they were ready to leave and head for the mission field, you know? And some of you, that's happened to you. You're ready to pack your bags and go. The call, the possibility, the options, it stirs your heart, and it makes you want to go. That's great. I commend you. My encouragement to you is, um, I don't know, carpe diem, you know? Seize the day. Stay here. Your days at the Masters will move by very quickly, and these are important moments of developing a foundation for the man or woman that you're going to be when you get there. And so um, one possibility is to lose sight of where you are and think only about where you're going to be and not about where you are. Second possibility, which I see happening more in students now than when I was in uh, um, college a couple of years ago, is what I call um, option overload. You know what I'm talking about? You see all these great options and it just cripples you from doing anything. You go, I want to go for a summer, but to say yes to one thing means to say no to all the others, and I can't do it, so you end up doing nothing. I keep bumping into guys my age, who I went to school with, who are still deciding on what great ministry to be involved in. And I've been running around for eight years doing at least something, and I'm missing out on a whole lot of neat opportunities, but I'm doing something. Don't, don't be derailed by option overload. Try something, and see what happens. I... Uh, I spent the summer in the Philippines, and uh, it was a great ministry, and I absolutely hated it. And uh, it helped me decide that that is not where I want to spend my life, but it was a good experience. I'm glad I did it. Do something. Don't let option overload um, flatten your tires. And I think the, the third option is what I hear some of you talking about, and that is um, 
the different things that are happening in the world, they don't just keep on your shoulders guilt and possibility, but they, they sort of uh, rub off the barnacles that collect around your heart. And uh, my encouragement to you is you hear different opportunities about missions and different things that God is doing in the world. Don't just think about how you can be involved. That's important. But also be stirred by the fact that God is moving in other places besides um, New Hall. That God is at work, and it's really fun. As a matter of fact, um, by way of sharing some few thoughts with you this morning, I will also, somewhat by accident, allow you to hear a little bit of the place that God has taken me over the last eight or nine years to military ministry in Germany. But that's not my point to talk about it. But I hope it will excite you for the places that you are ministering, thinking about being involved, or where you have been. And uh, I hope these, these uh, ideas will be of some encouragement to you. Well, I did go to Bible school, got a degree in theology, graduated from Brand X Bible College in Portland, Oregon. And uh, not long after I graduated, um, only a few months actually, I headed out to Germany to uh, start a youth group with military kids that are stuck in Europe because their parents' assignment there. And it's a tremendous opportunity. And I've been there for nine years. I'm 31. And I have loved my time out there and equally hated it at different moments. It's um, with a sense of limited experience that I stand before you this morning to share a few thoughts that I've collected about what it means to be a missionary. And um, there will be men and women, possibly, you know, that stand up here throughout the years that you were here at the Master's College and have been and share with you about things that God has done in their life through the long, long, long haul. And uh, I loved hearing some of those stories. I was bored by some, but I was really stirred by others. And my experience is short, but in the, in the few years that I've been with Malachi and had the privilege of being involved in youth ministry overseas, a couple of things have been cemented in my mind that I speak with real passion about. And so when given an opportunity to share in your chapel this morning, I um, was quick to think of those thoughts that God has um, sort of pressed through the top layers of skin into my heart. And uh, these, for me, are some of the principles of impacting lives that I've come to believe in very, very strongly. And I'd like to share a few of them with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn, of course you do, turn to 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. While you're finding that there in, your, in those pages, um, as I was going through Bible college, I used to hear uh, men and women talk about ministry. And, and uh, I remember one uh, fellow speaking in chapel, Bruce Wilkinson, a walk through the Bible, and he said, uh, you know, pounding the pulpit with enthusiasm, he said, you think school is exciting. You think being here and sitting in these theology and other practical classes and rubbing shoulders with other young people who are walking with God and enjoying Him and struggling, you think it's exciting here. You wait till you get out into the ministry. And uh, you think you're working hard now. You wait till you get in the throws up. You wait till you get in the trenches. And it is not only hard work, but it is exciting. It will put to shame the rush of your years in college. And I used to think, I'm not sure that's true. And, uh, but the more stories I heard of men and women who loved being out there on the front line serving the Lord, the more I heard those kind of stories, I, I started to think maybe it is true. But then I got out there and I found out that it is true. It's great. It's hard. It's thick. It's weighty. 
but it's, it's rich. And um, as I share with you, I want you to know I love being part of the mission field and being involved in ministry in this capacity. And uh, uh, so let's turn our attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm reading from the New International Version, and it says this. Paul, in speaking to those at Thessalonica, says, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi. Must have been a junior high group. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God. Who tests our hearts, you know that we never use flattery, nor do we put a mask or cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Um, Paul is a tremendous theologian. And yet... I realize there's a whole new rich side of Paul. He is, um, he's just, he's so relational. He, uh, there's a real appetite in him to connect with people. And uh, this passage has uh, been a real source of uh, momentum for me and encouragement as I have thought through what it means to impact lives. So I want to share a few principles with you. They are not uh, highly academic, I would encourage you not to write any of these down. Just listen and uh, let me share them with you. First of all, um, give them your relationship with the Lord. Give them your relationship with the Lord. Paul says um, in verse 8, We love you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. There is a difference between us, men and women, and the Peace Corps. The difference is we have a message that we are convinced will change someone's life. And you need to give them the gospel. The gospel is the power to change lives. And the gospel is not something that is platonic. It is something that is organic. It is alive because it is in you. As God has infiltrated your life, you are loaded with a powerful serum in other people's world. You have the gospel of God that is in you. And my thought is, give them your relationship with God. In my first couple of years of college, I was um, eating it up. I mean, I just thought, what a blast to be in a school that academically I'm studying the Bible, you know, Instead of catcher in the rye, I thought this was incredible. And as, as I started to work my way through, I, it, it really was great. Um, and I was so excited to amass all this new knowledge so that I could go apply it to some poor vi- a person who needed the Lord. And um, I was stacking up my arsenal to be used effectively in ministry. What about giving them your relationship with the Lord? 
Did you ever get the feeling that Paul is reading Peter's notes when he writes letters to the Thessalonians? I don't. I get the feeling that this is his stuff. It's stuff that is connected with his heart. If something has not changed your life, please don't give it to me, even if it's true. What I want to hear is I want to hear how the gospel has infused with you and your heart and your experience. And I want to hear you talk about that. That's what moves me. I mean, when Paul talks in Romans, you kind of feel like he's got a little passion here. He's got something to say. And um, uh, right now, my uh, future, in terms of the specific application of where I will be in ministry next fall, it's a little foggy. We're working on it. We're making progress. But let me tell you, if I was asked this morning to speak on God's will, I would say, no, thank you. Because right now, that is not something that I, I feel like is pouring out of my heart. Something is real confusing. Now, if you want to talk about the confusion of God's will, I'm your man. I'll be more than quick to share about that. Because that's something that is mine, you see. Now, if a student wants to talk about, uh, if I've got a guy struggling with homosexuality, will I not discuss it with him because that's not been in my experience? Of course I'll discuss it with them, and I, I'll be happy to share some thoughts on that. But at the same time, I'm careful about speaking passionately about principles that have not seeded in my heart. For two reasons. Number one, I think it, it becomes impotent. I'm sharing facts. And if truth is your ultimate paradigm, you miss out on the thrust of this book. It's about relationships, not just truth. One without the other is dead. But it's about relationships. And so because of that, as I give you the gospel... I want to give you my life as well. Therefore, my experience. Now, my experience is not the point. My experience only brings it alive as I relate to you. If it hasn't changed your life, don't give it to someone else. Practical thought. If there are three or four things that God has given you through hard times, through rich times, whatever, a couple of those things that you speak passionately about when you have the opportunity, here's my thought. Teach on those all the time. You have a chance to communicate to someone something about the Word, talk about something that is real to you, that moves you, that connects with your passion. Give them your relationship with God. Give them your relationship with God. It will have incredible power. If it hasn't changed your life, don't give it to me. And you know, your relationship with God is unique, and it's incomplete, and it's real. Your relationship with God is evolving. Who you are right now and your love walk with Him is not who you will be five years from now. So don't speak as if you are where you're going to be five years from now. Don't try to be where you wish you were. Be where you are and speak out of that and it will have great power. There was uh, uh, students in youth ministry, high school, junior high especially, are dying for authenticity. And you know as well as I do that a junior higher can spot a fake a mile away. And they are not interested in how well you can impersonate a growing Christian. They're interested in what's going on in you. And for much of my life, I heard adults talk about God in a way that um, didn't draw me to Him. Rather, I heard them tell old stories about how God had worked five years ago. And I want to know, what is God doing in your marriage, in your, grand, your life with your grandkids today? Yeah, that's the kind of stuff I wanted to know. And I think that's what students want to know as well. In a humorous way, I will illustrate this. Our students in Germany, the military kids, are very responsive. Um, there's a lack of, of spiritual information there, and we have fallen into a vacuum in Malachi ministry. But uh, I was—I um, shared this with a class yesterday. But I was 
going down to speak for a ski trip with our American kids down in Austria. God called us, had to go. And um, I do know his will in one way. And we were headed down there, and we get to this this uh, uh, youth hostel, and we're, we're riding these buses seven hours down and everything. And there was one gal that is so excited about her new relationship with God, a potential. She hadn't actually accepted his substitute yet, but she was on her way. And she asked me questions, her and a couple other kids, all the way down on the bus. This is a new youth group, new high school students in terms of being exposed to spiritual things. And she was so excited. And I was loving it. I mean, I love talking with kids about that. And uh, as we got down there, um, I was getting a little tired, seven hours of questions. I'm not exaggerating and um, about everything. And we get down there, and the first morning we're getting up, and we're getting our ski boots on, and we're at the top of the slope, and I'm waiting for the boys. You know, they're going to come up, and we're going to go thrash the trees. And um, I'm kind of standing, sitting on the edge of the slope with my skis, and I am so ready to ski. And uh, this gal comes up, and she's kind of standing beside me, and she starts asking me questions. And just then the boys get off the lift, you know, and they're started heading down the hill, and she's asking me these great questions. I mean, deep questions about God, who he is, and what's going on. And I turned to her, I'll call her Susan, and I'll turn to her and I said, Susan, you know what, that's a really important question. But you know what, right now, it's time to ski. Let's ski. Whoosh, I went down the slope. Some of you go, you think skiing is more important than God? No, I think skiing is part of a very full, rich life. And so I ski. <laughs> I did it on purpose. And we got to talk about it a little bit later. What I wanted to say to Susan was, um, God is part of your whole life. And I want you to live life this weekend as well. I don't want you to hide in intellectual questions about who he is and stuff. There's a time for that. But you know what? If I have my choice, would I talk about God and theology every minute of every day? No. God is part of who I am. That is my relationship with God. Might you have handled that, that particular instance differently? Probably. Maybe not. That's you. This was my relationship with God, and I wanted to give it to her. It is who, as God infuses with my life, this is who I am. And one of the things that's true about me is I love to talk about the Lord. Another thing that's true about me is I love to speak. That's, that's me, and that's my relationship with Him. Don't throw me out yet. Let's keep going. It's really interesting as you read through the New Testament, you see that when God wanted to communicate Himself, and his word to us as people, he wrapped it in a person. He wrapped his message in a person. Jesus Christ is a vivid example of giving them your relationship with God. Jesus gave him himself. I mean, he spoke in parables. I would have been more clear. He spoke in parables. That's him. That's God. And God, when he wanted to communicate to us, he gave us Christ. Great idea. I think it's a great standard for how we should function. Give them your relationship with the Lord. Next principle Give them yourself. Give them yourself. Um, men and women, in a day when we are being encouraged subconsciously and consciously to learn how to mimic authenticity, I would challenge you to learn what it means to be authentic. Do people get you when they relate to you? Do they just get who you are? Is there a sense of settledness with who God has you, where God has you right now, especially in an, in an incredible environment like Masters, where what can happen in you, as I struggle with in Bible college, there is a desire to be further than you are, and so you work at impersonating how you wish you were. You see what I'm saying? Don't impersonate how you wish you were. Give people yourself. 
give people yourself. One of the things I love about the students that we work with, they're so straightforward and uh, honest. They're not necessarily mature, they're just direct. And, uh, um, you know, I, I had a night where we were going to discuss whether premarital sex was right or wrong. And so I said, if you believe it's wrong, sit on this side of the room. If you believe it's right, sit on this side of the room. And the room was split 50-50. Well, um, I didn't ask them about their experience. I just asked them what they thought. And it's, it's so fun to talk with people who are straightforward like that. I, uh, my encouragement is be real. Be who you are at the moment. Give people you. Do people get you? Does your roommate get you? Or does your roommate get a distilled version of what you wish you were? Um, at the risk of saying something negative, I have been so privileged with the students from Masters that I've gotten to work with, uh, especially two guys who've lived in my community and worked with me, Chris Holowati, who continues to be a legend at this school, which is scary, and uh, Todd Arnett, who was an intern with me summer before last, and who graduated last year. And uh, Todd, some of you know him, student room, outgoing guy. You know, shy is not in his vocabulary. And... Um, so, Joanna, if you're here, bear with me on this story. But Todd was in a car his first day in Germany. And he's going to intern with our students. And, and Todd loves to make an impression on people by being friendly, and he is. So we were doing this car rally with students. And Todd's in the car, you know, with these uh, four or five high school girls and one guy driving. And they're having a great time. He's kind of hanging out the, the sunroof. And they're driving around the Autobahn looking for these little pictures that we'd put up. And, uh, and he, he's talking about this and this that happened back in California and this that happened. And about 30 minutes into this little event, a girl turns around to him and says, Dang, you talk about yourself a lot, don't you? <laughs> Caught him. Caught him. Caught him cold. And uh, Todd and I had a chance to talk about that a lot. Now, um, Todd's a great guy, but he got caught. And what they, what, you know what she was saying without knowing it? She was saying, I want you. I want you, not what you want to give me and present but I want you what, what, what is true about you relax give me you give me you give them your relationship with the Lord I was on a trip um, speaking for a camp with um, actually my own group and uh, Gallon Candy one of our youth directors was talking with a girl in a seat you know how you sit kind of backwards in those incredibly comfortable bus seats and she's sitting backwards talking with a girl a high school girl who's beside her and they're going back and forth about I don't know what. And uh, as they're talking, I can see, because I'm behind Candy, and she's sitting reverse in the seat, I can see tears rolling down her cheek. I didn't know what the conversation was about, but some kind of pain in this high school gal's life. Um, after a few minutes, they finished their time together, and the high school gal slipped out and headed for the back of the bus. And, and I watched Candy sit in the seat and continue to cry. Whatever the gal had said really, really affected her heart. She wasn't crying so that that gal could see her cry so that she knew she was being loved. You see what I'm saying? She was giving who she was. It really hurt her. It really hurt her. Give them yourself. Dating a girl in Kaiserslautern, northern Germany, who is now my wife, and I went up to see her one day, and it was one of those times where you have the define the relationship talk. I hate that, but you got to do it. And... Um, D DRT, we called it. And uh, I said, Laura, how you feeling? She goes, not good. And I knew it. A lot of distance between us. I, was, I only had one day off a week, and I would drive up there to visit her. Great way to have a relationship. And Laura said, Dan, I don't know what it is. I just don't feel like I'm enjoying it. I don't know what it is. I don't feel attracted the way I want to or something. I said, what? She goes, I just don't feel like you love me. 
I go, well, what can I do to communicate more that I love you? She goes, well, um, and so we talked about a couple things. I wrote them down, and I started out to do some of them, and I was really excited. We talked about doing this and doing that and doing more of the romantic stuff and all that. I, I, great, I could do this. So I went off, and uh, about a month later, we were getting nowhere. And uh, we sat down, and I was like, what? What do you want from me? <laughs> Junior hires love me. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, I don't know. I just don't feel like you love me. I'm like, what? And I started listing the thing. I, I'm, I'm proving it to you. And she said, yeah, you're doing a really good job at trying to convince me that you do. But my question is, do you? I had not asked that question. I hadn't asked that question of myself. I set out to convince her of what I didn't even know was true or not. I wasn't giving her me. I was giving her what I wanted her to have of how I wish I would be. You see? It is damaging in ministry, men and women, to do that. You do that to people and you will rob them of their integrity and your own. Give them yourself. So I said, Laura, you know what? I, I don't love you. I, I didn't realize it, but I really don't. That was the beginning of a different chapter in our relationship. Look um, at verse 8. Again, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. You would become so dear to us. Um, I was down in uh, Hungary. We did an exchange program with our students, kind of a cross-cultural thing. It was an American-Hungarian thing, in which we could do because we have military kids in Germany. It was a way for Hungarian kids to experience America a little bit by coming to the military base. And we took a whole raft of our kids, our ministry team-level kids, down to Budapest. And we just lived in the home of the high school kids. And one of the Hungarian, and then they would switch and come up and live with us for a week. And we would run youth group meetings down there in Hungary all week and tell them that's what we did in the States, you know. And uh, that was kind of their cultural experience. And... Uh, Chris Holowaty and I got to know a guy named Charlie, and Charlie lived in our house, and uh, Charlie was a high intellectual, spoke three or four languages, and uh, was going to school in English his last couple of years, and Charlie was very stirred by the stuff we talked about, about Christ's death on the cross, and intellectual proof of the existence of God, and he wrote me this letter, and I want to read a little bit of this. This was at a point when he was having to make a decision about God. He said, Dan... What I want to say is now I have to make a decision. I can't be like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind from James 1. I must decide for or against it because one is true. Either God exists and the Bible is his word or he does not. If I had to decide at the moment, it would be obvious. I would decide and I would decide for it. I would have faith so that I would know God. But isn't this isn't this just because I've been with you and because I have come to love you so much and you are great people that love God? This is an intellectual guy. He could put us all to shame, let me tell you. But what connected with his heart was not all the answers that we gave him, but it was that we loved him. It's an, it's an incredible combination. Authentic relationship mixed with the gospel. Powerful. Um, give them your relationship with God. Give them yourself. Um, and third, uh, if you would flip over for just a second to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Flip back.
Paul again with a not so responsive youth group. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse two. Paul says to Corinthians, make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. And then go look on down in, um, look backwards a little bit to 2 Corinthians 6, 11. He has just challenged them to make room in their hearts. And he says this about himself. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affections from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. Do you hear the passion in those words? Paul is saying, I give you my love, and I want yours back. Um, my challenge is, you love them first. You love people first, whether it's your roommate or the students, that the ministry you're involved in, or your summer ministry to Bangladesh, whatever it is, you love them first. Don't wait for them to love you and then be stirred and then you respond. You love them first. It's a, it's a simple principle that absolutely revolutionizes ministry. And junior hires and high schoolers are so cotton picking intimidating. And they make you want to back off until it's safe. But you can't. You've got to love them first. And it's uncomfortable for everybody involved first. They're uncomfortable. You're uncomfortable. And you think there's got to be a more strategic way to do this. Let's watch another Michael W. Smith video. And that's not what they need. They need you to cut loose and love them. Um, we do have a very responsive group in our ministry, but it would be very unfair to communicate it as if that's the way all the students are. And I want to tell you about Nikki. And Nikki is a gal who absolutely broke my heart. And uh, she's a rough gal, very uh, direct. Um, used to confront me when I was teaching on different things. Just right in the middle of the talk, she'd stand up and make some gesture or make some comment that was very direct. One day, we just had it out after she spread rumors about me at our high school. And uh, I sat down with her and we talked and we really got to talk about some of the pain in her life. And um, I told her about how I just didn't know why, but I really liked her. And I go, I just, it bugs me that I like you so much because you keep stabbing me in the back. I don't understand it. Why you keep doing that? I really... I really did like her too, you guys. I'm not sure where it came from. The Lord must have been. She wrote this letter to me. After I gave her a hug and she cried, first time I'd ever seen her cry, she wrote me this letter. She said some things and she said, well, my dad and I got along for a while. It was a constant battle, but we've tried, but it just isn't working out. Am I such a bad person, Dan? From the beginning, I've been known in my family as the mistake. He blamed me for not being able to travel like he wanted to. That was his mistake, not mine. Mom wanted me. She had planned for me to start, planned for me from the start. And when the doctors told her that we had a great chance of my being mentally retarded like my brother, she told me, so, she's mine. I want her. But he didn't think that way. I remember being happy once with my dad, once a very long, long time ago. See, he thought someone had told me that I should hate him. So he hated me back. No one told me that. I learned that. I saw. I learned that. I saw the hate in his eyes, and I took it and made the hate mine. What he sees in my eyes is exactly what he shows me. I never wanted to admit it, but I am like my dad. But I. But I show the same anger, the same fury that he showed me. I want to go to God and say, "Here, can you help me?" But I'm afraid of taking advantage of him or his love for me. Besides that, 
God doesn't hug me when I cry like you did. Thank you. It hurts so much I don't know what to do. She goes on. Find out later that I'm the first adult male of any of a good sort that has hugged her in the context of her anger. She's been, like, I'm such a great guy? Oh, it's not the point. The point is, you love them, and they will connect with the gospel. That's what people want. They want to see the gospel wrapped in your life. My last thought as we share, I share a few thoughts with you, is um, a sobering one. Really loving someone will really hurt, guaranteed. What I'm telling you is actually poor advice if you want to stay safe. You really make some investments in your roommate and some of the other students on campus. You get out there in the messy stuff, and I don't mean just applying truth to their life like masking tape. I mean getting in there and hurting and crying after they've left your room. You start doing that, and you will pay dearly. You know what? Because some will move and some will not. And that is the bad news of the gospel. I, of all the cars I've had break down and all the money problems I've had on the mission field and everything that's gone wrong, the deepest pain I've experienced in my nine years working with students is it hurts so bad when they turn their back on God and on me. I hate it. I hope I never get used to it and I wish so bad it would end. You know that dilemma? And if you really want to make an impact, you've got to do it. But I understand why you don't. It's really not that smart if you want to stay safe. Really loving will really hurt. Um, I just came back from speaking in a retreat in Germany for junior high. It was an incredible retreat and we had a great response. We saw about uh, 60 or so students individually uh, accept Christ's substitute out of 250 that were on the retreat. I loved it. It was just great. And uh, the last night there, I had the privilege, I'd been in the States for a year doing graduate work, I had the privilege of going back to the community where Chris Holowaty and I ran the youth group. And there were two kids left that were there. One was Nikki. The other was another gal who um, I had the privilege of praying with to being there when she prayed to receive Christ. I had breakfast with both of them just before I flew back last weekend. They shared incredible horror stories of their lives. Neither one of them are walking with the Lord. Nikki had written me a letter talking about how, damn, what you tried to do in Fold is not working. Kids here are not living for the Lord. She told me story after story of kids who have turned their back on God. And then she told me her story about how she hasn't lived for him this year. And I talked with her and I loved her and all that. But I got done, walked down, got in the car with the guy that was going to drive me to the airport in Frankfurt. And I just, I cried for 15 minutes. And they weren't fun tears. I was so disappointed that these kids were not going on with the Lord. It hurt me. I wasn't being a spiritual giant. I just, I, I hate that. I hate it when I see damage in people's lives that I know could be different if they would let God come in and connect with their soul. I, I hate it. My challenge to you is really loving or really hurt. You want a piece of that? You want some of that? <laughs> Go for it. If you're not strong enough for that, stay away from ministry. You want it safer? Go for the program side. It's much, much richer. Those are my encouraging thoughts to you. One last thing. The best test of what you would do is what you are doing. The best test of what you would do is what you are doing. How are you doing at loving your roommate? How about other students on campus? How about your ministry that you're involved in right now for those of you that are doing some things? If I sat and talked to the kids that you're relating with, to the people in your church, to your roommate, would I hear them say, man, I'm getting the gospel alive in a person. 
And what I hear them say, who? They're okay, they're great, we have fun. Are you giving yourself, the best test of what you would do is what you are doing. My challenge to you is there is no greater yet more costly um, ministry to be had than going deeply into people's lives. Let's talk to the Lord. We call Father, as I come before you this morning, I honestly cannot believe that you've chosen to put your message in these earthen vessels. And yet, Lord, as I sat and talked to those junior hires and watched them choose you and choose to accept your substitute, it was such... I just, I loved it, Lord. I loved being used by you. It's so fun. I, I just cannot imagine doing anything else. Thank you for the privilege. God, it's not a game, and we know that. And, and we saw how you got treated when you were here, and I don't know why we should expect a fair fight, but sometimes we do. And, Lord, I want to pray for uh, the students here at the Masters this year that they will pay the price to give themselves away, to be poured out. God, that they will be an aroma. Lord, I pray that we will be the ones to love people first, to cut loose, pay the price. And God, I pray for those moments when there is no comfort, comfort but you, when someone is not responding to you or to us. Give us the internal fortitude to know that we're not home yet, that someday we will stand in glory and we will not experience the drudgery, the pain that we are facing now. God, it is for you that we long to live a life that is honoring. Thank you for these moments, for your goodness to us, for your first example of first love. Thank you in your name and everyone said, Amen.